Hey Parkers family, uh, great to see you again this morning. Welcome back to uh, our series on the book of 1 John. We're in week three uh, this week and we're super looking forward to what God is going to say uh, to us this morning through his word. Uh, we're going to be looking amongst other things uh, at the topic of how uh, we can know for sure that we're Christians. How can we know for sure that we are believers and followers of uh, Jesus? Um, I don't know if you are aware, but sometimes uh, people find it difficult to to talk to pastors, to have conversations with pastors. As I go, uh, you know, around funerals, weddings, just casually, socially, uh, as soon as people sometimes find that you're a pastor, you know, the, the conversation can go a little bit sideways. It's it's okay un- until that point, like uh, the question, like, what, you know, so what do you do? You know, as if like you're almost like scrambling to think of like a different job description because as soon as you say you're a pastor, everything starts to sound up a bit sound a bit weird you know there's some things that you can talk about with people and some things you can't like and if they start if they start moaning about their boss you know it's sort of i can't really i can't really start moaning about my boss that's a bit of a career limiting life limiting move maybe um you know the the, the conversation normally ends up i find often he- heading towards like p- people meandering and starting to bring up their their spiritual sort of genealogy as it were their um, their pedigree, their history, like their journey with God. And again and again, I've heard people say to me, you know, sometimes in a meandering conversation that, that, that they've always known God. You know, they, you know, when they were young, they, they've always known God. They, they don't go to church now. They're maybe not religious. They're lapsed or they, whatever, they, they, they should get back into it, whatever else. But they'll use this phrase like that they've always known God and then they always know He's there. And it's always made me scratch my head a bit. Like, cause that hasn't been my experience. I haven't always Knowing God, having always known He's there, having always been in a relationship with Him, and part of what I to part of what I want us to look at today is how we can get clear on that. How we can get clear on the fact that we do know God and that we are walking with Him. And as we dive into the Scripture today, Mpo is going to read for us. So, would you turn to First John uh, chapter two? We're going to be reading the first eleven verses. Thanks, Mpo. Hi Parkhurst Community Church, my name is Mpo Mwepadira and today I'll be reading 1 John chapter 2 from verse 1 to 11. And here it goes. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't know, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he's in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. 
the one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Thank you. I hope you enjoy the rest of the sermon. Thanks so much, Mpo. As I said, I want us to look at how we can be sure uh, that we're Christians. We're going to have a look at that. There are two uh, tests that John gives us. He puts forward so we can know for sure. And then there's some encouragement as well in this. And there's a, there's a phrase you'll see a couple of times in this passage. It says, um, this is how we know we are in him. This is how we know we are in him. And uh, as a pastor, you know, walking for years with people, assurance of salvation is a really big deal. Knowing that you belong to God, knowing that you are in Him, that you're a Christ follower, that you belong to Jesus is a really, really a big deal uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, you get some people who are, uh, their faith feels a bit weak, I would say, that they're struggling with assurance, that they doubt often and they wonder, do I really be- belong to God? Uh, sometimes I feel so far from him. How can I be, how can I be sure? And they, their faith seems to flounder and they don't make progress because they're always doubting and wondering. And, and to, if that's you today, I want to, I want to speak some clarity and some hope and some encouragement there. But on the other side, you've got people who, who may be a bit misguided and like, like I referenced in, in the introduction, people who, who feel like they've always known God and, they maybe have an overconfidence. They, they've placed their faith in, in something else. Maybe they were born into a Christian home or they, they even regularly attend church. And, and, and as you listen today, regardless of where you are, I hope that uh, God's word is going to bring some clarity to us today to how we can know that we are in him. Have a look with me at verse 6. That's like a banner verse over this passage that we're going to anchor um, our thoughts in. It says there, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Now, it's speaking about Jesus. The one who says he remains in Jesus should walk just as Jesus walked. So the obvious question for us is how, how did Jesus walk? How did Jesus walk? But if John is saying, um, if we say we remain in him, we should walk as he walked. Uh, we need to first look at how Jesus walked. And if then if we're walking like that, then we can say, okay, no, we, we are remaining in him. We are in ongoing relationship with God. And so I want us to have a look just out of this passage, two different things. They're going two different directions here in the passage uh, before this verse and after this verse of how Jesus walked and how we can then follow him. The first thing that John touches on here of how, how Jesus walked is that he walked in obedience. He walked in obedience, perfect obedience, perfect. This is super, super important. He walks in perfect obedience. There's a couple of scriptures that just really drive this home for us. It's all over the New Testament, but just a couple. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, speaking about Jesus, it calls him the one who knew no sin. He is made sin for us, but he's described as the one who knew no sin. No sin. He, he never, ever sinned. He never knew sin. He didn't ever uh, commit anything. He, he, he knew no sin, completely uh, innocent. In Philippians chapter 2, Uh, In that wonderful passage, it describes Jesus as being the one who was obedient unto death. He never, ever wavered in his obedience all the way through unto death. From birth to death, 
he was obedient all the way. And his death is the, is the ultimate step of his obedience before his father. And then in John's gospel, this John who wrote his gospel in John chapter 15, verse 10, it says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just because I have kept my father's commands and I remain in his love. Jesus says of himself, I have kept his commands. Jesus demonstrates perfect obedience in every single thought, every, every word of his, every deed of his is perfect Perfect obedience to the will and the commands of his Father in his earthly existence. Jesus Christ was perfectly obedient. So what does John say we should do? We'll have a look in, in verses 3 to 5 there. It says, this is how we know that we know him. Here we go. If we keep his commands. The one who says, and, and you'll see that again. I don't know if you remember last week, but there was a threefold repeat of if we say, if we say, if we say. And in this passage, there's a threefold repeat of the one who says, the one who says, the one who says. And lip service is, is one thing we can give to God, but God's more interested in how we actually live. And here it is again, beginning of verse 4, it's the one who says, okay, well, the one who says what? The one who says, I have come to know him. I have come to know him. And yet, doesn't keep his commands, is what? Is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Positively, though. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. What is John saying there? It's very simple. He says, if, if we're going to say, I've come to know him. I've come to know him. I know God. And yet we don't keep his commands. We're liars. We looked at last week. We deceive ourselves. We call God a liar. Then the truth is not in us. We can have no assurance, no comfort, no steadfastness that we belong to God, that we are actually Christians. If we say we belong to him and we do not keep his commands, if we look at our lives and say, there, 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 all over the place, we're not living in a way that God commands us. Obedience to God is not a driving motivation in the way that we live our lives. We should have no encouragement, no assurance that we are genuinely born again and genuinely belong to God. So the first thing of how Jesus walked is that he walks in obedience, perfect obedience. The second thing is that he walks in love for others. He walks in love for others. How does Jesus show this? Well, when Jesus is asked to uh, comment on which is the most important commandment, how, how does he summarize this? Uh, you may, may be familiar with it. He summarizes it with love for God and love for neighbor. He says, this is it. The whole law can be summed up in these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hang all the law. Love God and love your neighbor. And as you read through the Gospels, you just see Jesus demonstrating a lifestyle of this. Loving God with all his heart, soul, mind and strength and loving his neighbor. And, and, and Jesus loves such a, a, a myriad of people in different situations and circumstances and you know, levels of righteousness according to the law, outcasts, religious leaders. He loves people. He goes towards people that we may shy away from sometimes. And he shows us love, love, love for people. Coming out of a deep love and intimacy with God. Love for people. I think it, I'm going to pause there quickly and 
mention something that needs a bit of clarifying here because these days sort of our cultural mood and our cultural moments is, has got um, this a little bit skew in my mind that love means full acceptance. Love means full acceptance. If you, if you push back against any behavior or any identity or any, any way people choose to express their freedoms, uh, you're now being unloving. You've been unloving. You, if in order to love somebody, you need to fully accept everything that they say, everything that they do, everything that they say they are. No questions asked. You can't disagree lovingly. You have to fully accept. And I don't think that is right. And I don't think it's biblical. And you see, even in the life of Jesus, yes, he loves people, but Jesus gives people some serious heat. Yes, he does aim a lot of his heat at religious leaders. But he does look at people and use some of the things that Jesus teaches. Oh, this is black. This is white. This is what it means to follow me. This is what it doesn't mean. And he draws a dividing line in the sand. And he says, you know, you, you know this is obedience to God and this is not. This is righteous. This is not. This is dark. This is light. He's not just like, hey, I love you all. Come sit on my lap. Give me a big old hug there. It's like, you all, everybody's welcome, welcome, welcome. No, no, no. He's got some strong moral teachings of what it means to follow him and obey the Father. Love is not acceptance of every single person's sin, lifestyle, rebellion against God. If it's against the obedience to what God has commanded in the scriptures, it's not um, faithful and it's not loving to just let them think that, okay, well, that's just not a problem. It's not a problem to me. It's not a problem to God. Jesus just loved everybody. He, he, he didn't love everyone in that sense. The way our culture has changed is what it means to love people. He did love them. He moved towards them. But he's calling things out in their lives. And he's calling them to something better, which is the obedience to God. And what, is, what does John say here uh, to us? We'll have a look in verse 9. He says, The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. So uh, there's no reason for us to stumble. And there's nothing we're going to cause others to stumble if we remain in the light and we love our brothers and our sisters. Verse 11. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness. Walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There are effects of, of hatred that John uh, illuminates here. And he says, the one is that it blinds us. It blinds us. In verse 11, it says, they, they, they don't know where they're going. They're staring around. And sometimes you see this in, in, in its most extreme form when people are blinded by rage. And you may be even listening to this and thinking, well, I don't hate anyone. But like, maybe there's an issue. Maybe there's, there's something. There's a niggle between somebody and it clouds your mind. You find yourself thinking about it all the time. And, and it's in some ways, it's, it's blinding you a little bit. You're not able to see things as they fully are, as they correctly are. With the eyes of Jesus, with the love of Jesus towards people, you're blinded a bit by it and you're disorientated. That's the second thing he says. It disorientates. You don't really know where, where we're going because the darkness has blinded our eyes. Disorientated. What's real? Where am I going? Staggering around. Hatred can do that to us. Even strong dislike for somebody else. Lingering issues, unforgiveness and bitterness. They all find their roots down here. Hatred is the, maybe the strongest way to put it. But bitterness and unforgiveness, those things are what give rise to out and out hatred. So as those things 
percolate and ferment in our hearts, we become blinded and disorientated. That's what John says about how we walk as Jesus walked. In full obedience, in perfect obedience, and in love for our brothers and sisters. That's what it means. When you want to know how you should live your life, look at those two things. You do a brief life audit. I would encourage you to do that today during this week. Like, how am I doing? How am I doing in obeying the commands of God as he makes them clear to me in the scriptures and as he impresses things on my heart through the Holy Spirit? If I'm a true uh, Christian, I'm going to sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, don't do that or do that. And what about that? What about that? And then love for brothers and sisters, uh, relational wholeness. How am I doing in that in that space? That's what it means to walk as Jesus walked. But what about when we don't? When we don't? When we don't get it right? When we get it wrong? When we, we're walking in the exact opposite way? Uh, is there any good news for us? Because if anything like me, uh, you're reading through that and you're thinking, I'm in big trouble. If, if, if this is what Doug's on about today, if this is what it means to be a true Christian, is to love God through obedience and through loving our brothers and sisters. You know, I, I, maybe, maybe there's some flurries of good days or, or weeks, but you know, on, on the whole, I'm not really doing that well in this. Or sometimes there's progress, but there's a lot of uh, falling over and tripping over here. Is there any hope or any good news for us? Well, I want you to go back with me and have a look at the first two verses of this chapter because there's, there's astoundingly good news for us in these first two verses of this chapter. Have a look at it. It says, my little children. There it is again, my little children. John's grandfatherly kind of tender um, tone. And uh, he, he almost introduces this very heavy, theologically rich little next section. He's basically going to tell them that they that there are sinners and they needing saving, but he comes with his grandfatherly tone. Like, my little children, just come close. I want to tell you this in lots of love. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. What is he saying here? Have a look there. Break down this passage with me. He starts off and he says, that you may not sin. I'm writing these things that you may not sin. And just, I don't want to rush past this verse because it's really, really important. When he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In that is a, is a comment on the scriptures. He, he, he's writing a letter to them. And he knows that his words to them will help keep them from sin. His words to them will help keep them from sin. That's the scriptures that we have. If you want to know, how can I live a life without sin? How can I make progress in an area? How can I move towards greater degrees of holiness in my life? Soak your heart and your mind in the scriptures because they're written so that we wouldn't sin. There's sometimes you just rush over that verse, but that's what it's saying there. And here was what he says, that you may not sin. That's the plan. That's the goal, that's the desire, that we would not sin. We would not sin. You know, on the, you get some people on the one hand, they'll just throw their hands up and say, I'm such a sinner, that's me, these are my issues, you know, I'm not perfect, uh, I'm never going to get it right, I've been a Christian for so long and I just keep tripping over the same things, I can't shake this, I can't get victory over this, just, this is just me, these are my things, you know. Like, ah. yeah. But thank goodness for grace, 
thank goodness for grace. God's grace covers me and, and so far I go. And uh, I would encourage you to read Romans uh, and the, the theological thread and the thinking there is Paul's very, very strong against that thinking that just because God's grace is there, that we can just live however we want and prevail on that grace uh, unnecessarily. Here's John's goal. I write these things to you that you may not sin. Friends, that's the goal. That's what we're going for is sinlessness. We want to go for greater holiness. We want to go for less sin. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in us is give us a greater ability and power to walk in holiness and to not sin. Before we met Christ, we were powerless. We had to obey sin's command and authority over us. But as new creatures, in, new creations, new creatures in Christ, we now have a power and ability to say no to sin and to move towards greater holiness. We can consecrate ourselves to God moment by moment, day after day, and walk in the newness of life in increasing holiness and decreasing sinfulness. That's the possibility of what God has enabled through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And John says, I write this that you may not sin. And uh, that's maybe an encouragement to us to not say, well, I'm just going to sin. Thank goodness for grace. Many of us slide down that hill and I want to I I push us back up the hill as it were. Say, no, 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 no. The encouragement is to not, is to not sin. But John continues and he says, but if anyone does sin, but if anyone does sin, John knows uh, people, he knows Christians, he knows the church, he deeply loves uh, God's people, and he, and he knows we're going to sin. God knows how we're made. Our sinful nature just finds multiple expressions to turn in rebellion against God. He says, but if anyone does sin, it's, 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 it's going to happen. Sinless perfection is not something we're going to arrive at in this lifetime. It's coming Thanks be to God, it is coming in the new age. It's coming. We won't always struggle with our sinful nature. We won't always rebel and do things that break God's heart and break his laws. That day is coming, uh, sinless perfection. But now, but if anyone does sin, it's, it, these days now are where we will sin. What's the good news for us? Well, have a look at what it says. It says, we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, the righteous one. The righteous one, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is our atoning sacrifice, not just for us, but for the whole world. I just want to pause here quickly and, and, and explain this picture that, that, that John is, is using with these words that he's using. We have an advocate with the Father. Uh, I'm, not, um, I'm not too clued up on law. I've been talking about it with Claire a little bit as she's thinking about things to study. But an advocate, uh, you, may, you have to imagine a courtroom scene here. Uh, God the Father is the judge. You know we're we're on trial, uh, and we have an advocate uh, with us. Our advocate uh, is Jesus. Our advocate is Jesus. So there's there's this judge, there's the Father. We're on trial uh, for crimes for our guilt, and and there's Jesus. He's the advocate. He's he's the one giving our defense and speaking on our on our behalf. And there's 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 a docket there with uh, misdemeanors and sins there. And there is also, there is also, the scriptures make clear, uh, accusations that come. Somebody who's, who's filing charges against us, uh, and one of those people is Satan. The devil, the Bible describes him as the father of lies and as the accuser of the brethren. So he accuses us with lies. It's the only language he can speak is lying. So there, as, you, as, you know, as the docket of our, of our misdemeanors is put forward, there are things that we are genuinely guilty of. 
There's things that Doug Fell has done that I'm genuinely sinful and guilty. And there's other things that are raised in the courtroom that are lies. They come from Satan. They are lies. I didn't actually do those things. And he accuses me and accuses me. And what is my defense here? Well, Jesus jumps up and he says, that's not true. Shut your mouth, Satan. That's not true. You speak in lies. That's not true. You're the father of lies. Everything you speak is, is evil and a lie. And Jesus can fight those with truth. But on the ones he has to re- represent before the judge, the father, say, yeah, Doug Fell is guilty of those things. Doug Fell did do all of those things. And the penalty for those things is death. And Jesus says, well, but he doesn't have to because I've already been to the cross for those things. I've paid for, for all of those sins. For Doug Fell, he, he's, he's free to go. And, and this, this righteous exchange, I spoke about it last week, where we get Jesus' perfect righteousness, perfect obedience, and he gets all of our sin. That's what plays out there. But right now, in real time, now, before the Father, in an ongoing sense, Jesus is Doug Fowl's advocate before the Father, fending off lies and just bringing through the, that dossier and saying, no, Doug Fowl is guilty of these things, but he's not guilty because I've paid the debt of these things. Ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. And it's glorious. It's amazing. And, and John says, this is not just for us. It's not, not just that Jesus has been this atoning sacrifice, which I spoke about last week, this atoning sacrifice, this substitute in my place to take away my sin. Blood needed to be shed in order for sin to be forgiven. And Jesus sheds his own blood so that my sin and your sin and the sins of the world can be forgiven. It's not just for me, but it says it's for the world. And I want to encourage you today to go and tell someone, to go and tell someone this wonderful news that for them, they can have, they can have an advocate before the Father, before the righteous judge of the whole earth. If they don't know what to do with their sin, with their meandry, with their guilt, all that stuff, there's an answer and it's in the scriptures. You give it to Jesus. He becomes your advocate and you rest in him. You rest in him. You just, you, we're like drenched as it were in his cleansing uh, righteousness. Go and tell someone that wonderful news this morning. As we close uh, this morning out, I want to give a couple of areas of application and just uh, for us as we, as, we, as we land this. The first one out of this passage is that I would encourage you to become savior-obsessed instead of sin-obsessed. It's very easy for Christians to become obsessed with sin. Uh, go on a sin hunt. There's, some people, there's a spectrum. There's some people who just like, ah, sin, you know. They never give sin a second thought to just keep on going kind of thing. And you wonder why everything in your life feels out of kilter. It's because of that you never stop and allow the Spirit of God to search us properly. You never don't take sin seriously enough. But others become sin-obsessed and then you want to make progress as a Christian. You start hunting for sin everywhere and your, your obsession is around the sin and not the Savior. And I want to say, I want to encourage you to, to be obsessed with the Savior. Spend time with Jesus, you start to look more and more like him. That's my only to-do, is spend more time with Jesus. Spend more time with him. Spend more time with him. You will hear what he says in his word. You will become, be, begin to love what he loves. You begin to look how he looks. You will begin to walk how he walks. And sin will move more and more into the background. We don't focus on sin to achieve holiness. We focus on the Holy One to achieve holiness. Become Savior obsessed, not sin obsessed. Because looking at Jesus uh, also just devastates us. It reminds us again and again on a daily basis, this is the one who has died in my place. This is the one who loves me, who hasn't treated me as my sins deserve. That motivates 
a love for him, a responsive, uh, life-giving love. Say, God, I want to give my life for you. Nothing is, nothing is outside. There's nothing I won't do for you. There's nothing I can't give in response to that kind of love. I'm happy to go and put sin to death and tell the world about you and do whatever you want me to do with my life. We become savior-obsessed people and not sin-obsessed people. The second thing is to see the scriptures as a mirror and not as binoculars. To see it as a mirror and not as binoculars. As Christians, we're great at spotting the sin in others. We think, we think the word gives us binoculars so that we can spot the sin in everybody else. We say, oh, look over there. You know, like, eh. you know, we, we're experts at like, oh, that person, that person. All the while ignoring the fact that the scriptures are meant to be a mirror. You're meant to hold up the scriptures and see ourselves first before we're worrying about the whole world. And I would encourage you to, to dial it in a little bit and say, don't worry about the rest of the world. God's got a mirror held up to them. There are times where we need to lovingly confront. I understand that the scripture makes that clear. But the scripture is primarily a mirror. And we look in it and we see ourselves and we go to God and we say, God, would you help me? I am the person I know who's most in need of grace. You work on those people. Please work on me uh, first and then allow me to help them from a place of what you've done in my life. See the scriptures as a mirror and not as binoculars. And the last thing is that we look at progress and not perfection. We look at progress, not perfection. You may have pushed back a few times uh, listening to this and just thought, yeah, Doug, like the perfect obedience, loving people. Like, I just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting very far there. I, I keep tripping up. I, I haven't made much, pro- I haven't, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. And I would agree with you, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I, and I know you, and I know you're not perfect. Uh, perfection is not what we're going for. Progress is what we're going for. Uh, and this is what the Holy Spirit does in us. Sanctification, the ongoing work, the lifetime's work of the Holy Spirit in moving us forward and slowly making us look more and more like Jesus. Don't worry so much about where you are. Consider where you've come from and the trajectory that God has you has you on. Let me close with this wonderful quote from uh, John Newton. He was, a, he was a former captain of a slave ship. He was a bit of a reprehensible individual. And, and God saved him and changed him over time. And he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. Amongst other things, he became a theologian. Listen to what he says about himself. I am not, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's the grace of God that's got him to where it was. Yeah, he's not what he wants to be. He's not where he will be in the future. But he isn't what he was then. And it's the grace of God that's moved him forward. And I pray that this is encouragement for you. If you feel discouraged on this journey, that you take stock of how far God has brought you. What has God done in the years since you've come to know him? What has he worked on? How has he opened your eyes? How has he changed you? Lift those things up to him and give him thanks and pray for more, more, more. Say, God, don't finish. you haven't finished the work you started in me. Keep it going. One day I'm going to look just like Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that. Keep the work going in me. I hope today you feel greater assurance that you belong to God because there's this, there's this convicting work of the Holy Spirit making us want to obey. We want to obey. We don't get it right, but we want to obey. We want to love our brothers and sisters. If the desire is there, we can say we genuinely 
uh, born of God, we belong to him, and we're going in the right direction. Let's pray uh, together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit who opens up our eyes to uh, see and opens our ears to hear. And I pray that as we consider uh, these scriptures today, as they wash over us, as your voice washes over us, and as we sit with these things in response, that you would help us to respond well to you, to love you more as a result. That we would look with eyes, you know, both wide open at Jesus Christ, the righteous one, our advocate before the Father, the atoning sacrifice of our sins. It's just, it's too much, just those lines for us to think of you, Jesus, as all of those things. And we're so grateful that we have you as an advocate for when we do sin, uh, you have covered that with your atoning sacrifice for us. And, and yet, in the midst of that, we want to pray that you would help us and strengthen us, Father, with the Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't sin, that we would not growing uh, levels of holiness, growing victory over sin. We don't want sin to weigh us down and trip us up. We want to live lives of obedience. We want to live lives of love for our brothers and sisters. And we pray to that end that you would help us, that you do this for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, guys, thanks, uh, thanks for tuning in again this morning. Uh, feel free to respond again with the lyric uh, videos, a song coming up here. Respond as an ongoing act of worship through financial giving. Get in touch with us as a church if we can serve you in any way or we can talk more with you about what you've heard in this message. But God bless you and look forward to seeing you guys soon.